It's Tony Parks here joining me on the Full Court Press. Tony, my man, how are we? You're too kind, man. How you doing? Oh, it's all the truth, and you know that. Hey, uh, <laughs> I want to start here. You had a chance to be a part of the TV crew to call the Skyview Ridgeline High School football game showdown of one and two. Give me some of your biggest takeaways that you got from both teams. Well, I, the first thing I'd say about that game is I thought it was uh, the best two teams in their classification. Um, I 100% believe that. The other thing is I thought both of those two teams would contend in 5A. Uh, I think that, and I don't think I'm being, you know, extreme when I say that as well. I loved how tense that game was, the incredible back and forth. Uh, I loved the toughness of Ridgeline with how difficult a task they were going to be facing down two scores against Skyview. That's not an easy thing, you know. And uh, they were able to put together the drives. I thought they were actually starting to wear them down. And, you know, a couple big mistakes, you know, make a big difference in deciding the game. But I would not be shocked at all to see those two teams meet up again in Rice-Eccles. And if they did, I wouldn't be uh, shocked to, to see that the winner of that matchup would be the winner of the state title, you know, whether they met up in the semis or the final. So... I loved what I watched there, and I thought the best version of national football for the classification of 4A was undoubtedly with those two teams. And then going forward, um, you, you know, I, I thought, like, if you put them in 5A, I don't know if they'd win it, but I think they would contend. And I, I, I loved Evan Webb. You know what I mean? There were just so many good players out there. It's so tough. I thought Hunter Lewis was really fun to watch, you know? Uh, Luke Bradford had some nice plays. Uh, you know, Walter Collins, Cole Watterson has been kind of a, a great player so far this year. Titan Saxton, like there's just names that are there that I don't think a lot of people were really familiar with that I think they now can understand, even if they're not household names within the state based on where they're going to go play or if they're heavily recruited. But there are guys there that you can watch and say, you know what, that's a dang good player and this is a dang good team. And so I hope we see them again because I love nothing more than to, to be a part of the broadcast when they're facing each other in the future. Does Skyview have a legit shot, even without the, the play of Mason Faltzliff, who's now graduated, a legit shot at winning a state championship again? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Skyview, I, mean, I watch what they do uh, defensively. They're incredibly tough. I mean, that, that's a defense that uh, might even have more speed than they did a year ago, which is crazy to say. Uh, I don't know if they're, you know, they, they still want some more of that playmaking and explosiveness, and I think they're only going to get better. Um, what's crazy is you look at the, you know, the meaningful touchdowns they've given up, and it's very, very few. Um, so that Ridgeline game was another one of those matchups where, it was kind of surprising to see that the game played itself out. But here's what you showed me. They can play in a variety of different ways, right? They can sling it down the field, play with a high-flying sort of game, uh, you know, rack up a ton of points. Uh, but they also showed me they can line it up and go, you know, 13 plays, 80 yards, 658 off the clock, and punch it in the end zone by, you know, with a ground-and-pound game. Uh, they have the guys up front. Uh, to be spectacular in that way. And so I, I loved it. I thought it was really, really fun. Uh, I, I thought the guys up front in the offensive line battle, uh, they were fun to watch. Evan Hall is a, is a great dude up there. I thought Ty McPhee played his tail off. Bracken Schumann, you know, these are guys that if they need to line it up and just punch you in the face, uh, they can do it. And so as much as I love watching, you know, Larson and Saxton go up and make catches, and I think Nyman is very underrated, 
you know, th- those guys are fun to watch with deep balls and stuff like that. The fact that they're so versatile in the way they can play is why I would still pick them to win the title. Give me your thoughts on this RPI thing. Uh, Ridgeline beats Logan by 30. They drop a spot. Uh, Bear River is 0-3 in region. Uh, Logan is 2-1 and in region, but mm-hmm. Bear River is three spots ahead of them. Uh, what is your thoughts on this R- RPI thing? Is it working, in your opinion, or do we need to go back to the old no, format? I, I've never been big on it. I was never really big on it. I did like uh, the idea that you know, certain amount of teams from regions would go to the playoffs, and then that way you didn't have politics involved, you didn't have some other quirky method involved. It was straightforward, right? And usually it was if you finished in dead last, you didn't go to the playoffs. Well, that's on you. You know, like, I don't know what to say. If you're dead last, like, you don't have much of an argument. So I kind of enjoyed that. I don't like everybody making the playoffs except this season. Let me make that clear. I think this season is the exception where, you know, with all the variables, I'm okay with it. But I never, yeah, like the RPI, I've never been kind of huge on the way it does it because I, I don't think it, like, to try and weigh and balance the value of different wins is very difficult, and they're not all created equal. Uh, who else is looking sharp in 4A football so far, in your opinion? Well, there's, I mean, you have, I, I first of all, I, I don't, even the Ridgeland lost that game, right? Like, we talk about that. I think they're still a team that, that is going to be great and, and, and compete and be deep into the postseason, and I'm not shocked if they go on to win the whole entire thing. I mean, they, I, in my opinion, uh, they are that tough. Now, um, my other picks out there, I think Snow Canyon is very good. I like Pineview, um, Stansbury, Park City. Um, there's a number of teams out there that I think are, are um, very attractive and are playing very, very good football. So 4A this year, in my opinion, has been a little deeper um, than what most people would probably perceive. I don't think that they have been paying quite as much attention to it, but I, I really like a lot of you know, what I'm watching from so many of these different teams. So in my in my rankings, I have uh, like Skyview 1, Ridgeline 2, Pine 3, Canyon 4, and I know that those two are going to meet up, and that's going to be fun. And I actually have Park City 5, and then right outside of that, obviously, Stanford deserves a lot of credit. So you know, there's good teams and there's good depth in that classification. Even though I, I think Skyview is a cut above everybody else, and even though I think they're a more explosive team than Ridgeline, I think Ridgeline because of familiarity, because of the crossover with coaches, and because of what goes into that game. If they were to meet up again, you would have a very tight, close game. That's why I have them as number two. Uh, Tony Parks joining us here on the Full Court Press. Uh, speaking of ranking, let's go to the college football side of things. Uh, you now have almost every conference now is going to be part of the football season. They all decided, hey, you know what, we can actually do this. Uh, what is your thoughts on a shortened uh, Power 5 conference football season with still four playoff spots going to, are going to be up to grabs? How would you work that? You being an AP voter, uh, or at least an inside knowledge of AP voting, how would you handle that situation with the shortened season? Yeah, when I was voting in the AP, you know, it was already tough enough to, to – you know, put together not a preseason, you know, top 25, did a lot of homework, you know, you're doing projecting, but you don't really know until the games get going. Right. So then when the games get going, you know, now you have a you know vast, you know, gap that happens to be there between quality scheduling, quality performance, things like that. So even trying to measure all of that was certainly a challenge. And then you get to week four, five, six, seven, then you started to feel like, 
you know, you at least had some sort of grip on this thing, even though even it was still controversial. If I was the AP this year, I would have had a top 15. I would have had a top 15 while everything's going on and you don't have several conferences playing yet. And then once those conferences get playing, then you expand to a 25. Now, if I was voting in the poll now, even if I had to do a 25, I would not include teams that are not playing yet. I mean, I just wouldn't. I mean, it's just like you're going to be a team that isn't playing yet, and you're going to find yourself moving up and down in the, in the ballot while you're still six weeks away. We don't even know what these teams are like health-wise before and after camp. We don't know what these teams are like even with live bullets out there on the field, who's going to be moving on, who's going to actually stay in play. I mean, there, there's so many things that are up here to rank a team right now. I couldn't do it. Like, I wouldn't do it. So I wouldn't have any Big Ten teams. I wouldn't have any Mountain West teams. I wouldn't have any Pac-12 teams. You know, I wouldn't do any of that. Um, but I also understand that different guys are going to do it differently. So I, I've said this, Ajay. It's nearly impossible this year. I mean, it really, really is impossible this year to try and, and, and vote on these. So I've definitely, while I'm looking over ballots, you know, cutting a lot of slack into – understanding the logic for a lot of them and they're doing their best. There is no perfect. So they're just trying to be as best as possible. And that's going to be defined very differently. And I'm just hoping that when all of the games are done from all these conferences, that they don't fall in love with recency bias. They don't fall in love with a regional bias. They don't fall in love with a calendar bias. They don't fall in love with, you know, some of these weird tendencies that have started to happen in the history of voting that I think are, are very flawed. You know, the voting situation is flawed anyway. But then when you start to use uh, different um, strategies or mentalities that are flawed in its logic, I think that alone then starts to become a really big problem for the game. Are you surprised BYU dropped four spots in the AP poll? No, I'm not, just because, like, you have everybody else playing. You know, it's not just about, I have to try and explain this to everybody. You now have people including the Pac-12 and the Big Ten in this thing, right? So now you're including more teams that haven't played. They're giving their non-conference assessment the best way that they can. Like I said, this is why I wouldn't include those teams, but they are. And then when they're going to include that, then you have to mix in what's going on with BYU, who they played, how they played, all of that. So the, the hardest thing I had to explain to people when I was doing the voting is it not just about your team? It's not, okay, you won, you dominated, you go up, two spots. No, it, it depends on what's happening with the other 129 teams, who they're playing, how they're playing, and how all the different dominoes are being affected. So it's, it, in this weird year, no, I'm not surprised that something like that would happen. Tony, you're not only incredibly uh knowledgeable, but you're also one of the best voice impersonators that I've ever known. In fact, no, excuse me, the best voice impersonator that I know of ever in my life. Uh, I was wondering in your wonderful Coach Lou voice, if you could talk to us about Notre Dame being in the ACC conference. I'll tell you something. There's something every one of us need to fight for, and that's independence. You understand that? Independence is what we fought for for this country. Every single person out there, they said, hey, we want to be on our own. You get out of the backyard. This is our property, and dang it, we're going to own this thing and run it the way we want. 
But you have to understand there's risk in everything. There's risk when I ended up burning my finger on a Pop-Tart. There's risk when I go down a slip and slide. There's risk when I try to trust a silent but deadly. But I still take those risks. And if you're Notre Dame, you got to take a few risks out there. you got to make sure you're playing football. And you got to make sure you go out there that if you're going to be in the ACC, that you're going to win the conference championship. And I think this team has what it takes to finally come through there. And I think they're going to find their way on top being number one of the country, number one of the conference. And once again, people are going to know that to be number one, sometimes you're going to be by yourself. And that's the case for me, and that's the case for them. <clears throat> Coach Lou, thanks for your time. Greatly appreciate you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, really quickly, I do want to turn to the NBA side of things. You've seen the playoff bubble coming as we start to wind it down with the Heat-Lakers finals matchup. Can you just tell me what you've seen from that so far, uh, the surprises or the disappointments, and, and what we get from this Heat-Lakers matchup? Well, the one thing I did say that was going to happen in this NBA bubble, if you will, is that the the year for unpredictable things to happen, it was, it was more possible here than maybe it had ever been. Now, remember the lockout shortened. You had crazy things happen, right? Like the Spurs started off terrible in 99, and then they just ripped off a bunch of wins. They went 37 and 13 and won the whole thing. So, and even that year, you had an eight seed go to the NBA Finals. Like, it was crazy. And that team was injured, beat up, and the next still went to the Finals. In the other lockout short year, you had crazy stuff happening, like the Spurs, who were so incredibly dominant all year, and then the playoffs started 10 and 0, and then didn't win another game. They hit the wall. So now you mix in all the variables that come with the bubble. Yeah, you had two, three games to one rallies, right? And when you are going to play in the same gym with the same stuff rather than the travel back and forth and two road games, you know, Denver didn't have to face that against the Clippers. You have more of a chance for something like that to happen. You also have a chance for the Miami Heat to end up in the finals, right? Like you end up with, you know, opportunities like that to take place. So, and the, uh, the attitude of this Miami Heat team. I think we're in for a good six-game series, um, but I think the more talented team uh, and the more well-rounded team in the L.A. Lakers, I, I think they're going to come out on top. But, you know, to see what we've seen with bizarre, random things happening, um, you know, that, that has been, in my opinion, a byproduct of an obscure year, which has been this year in the NBA bubble. I want to ask you a couple quick questions about the Utah Jazz, but before I do so, Doc Rivers was let go today by the Clippers. Mm -hmm. One, did that surprise you? And two, who would you get to replace Doc if you were the GM? Well, I think Jeff Van Gundy might need to be at the top of that list, but Doc Rivers gets let go, and a lot of people are saying, man, that guy had so much success there. He did some great things. And, And by the way, I still think he's a great mind, and I'd love to interview him. In some ways, I'm not surprised, and here's why. That guy stepped in. He had overwhelming amounts of talent with multiple different rosters, right? And sometimes he, like, overperformed with maybe an under-talented roster that went to the playoffs a couple years ago and pulled off a massive comeback. Like, so there was some real good. But overall, you were given, you know, a Hall of Fame point guard, a, the best power forward in the game at the time, best rim protector, best six-man, dead-eye shooter. Like, you had pieces, and you had the best of some of those pieces. And you never did more than what Vinny Del Negro did when he was the head coach there. Mm. So you can't run Vinny Del Negro out of town at 56 and 26 
and then you never do anything better than that and then somehow believe that you should be able to just, you know, recycle, renew, and reuse. Like, that's not okay if that's the standard to eventually hit championship level. So in some ways, not surprised. But, yeah, I, I could see uh, Jeff Van Gundy being a guy that um, might be in the mix for that. I wonder, I would like to see Becky Hammond get a chance uh, at head coaching positions, um, you know, for jobs like that. Uh, I don't see Mark Jackson being a guy that maybe gets the nod for that, but I'm, I'm wondering – which guy is best fit for that roster and the leadership or lack thereof within that group of guys, because there's no way you can say they haven't had championship caliber talent in on the court for those teams. Um, and at the end of the day, they have not been able to reach supreme levels of success. on uh, With Utah jazz, uh, they blow a disappointing three, one series lead to the nuggets. Mm-hmm. Of course, you aren't the first team to do that this season, but uh, when you look at the off season, what are some of the changes or what are some of the needs for the jazz and, uh, and how do you fix this? Well, we can definitely go into personnel and this and that, and, you know, they weren't healthy without Bogdanovich, but I've said it on my podcast, Tony Parks podcast, and I'll say it right here. The first thing that has to start happening is I think the jazz need a mindset shift. I really think they do. Um, this chip on the shoulder, nobody believes in us. We never get respect. We're going to go out and prove them wrong. It really sells well on social media. It fires up the fan base and endears people to them. A lot of guys on this team have a great story. Okay, but all that needs to go away now. It needs to be about understanding what the price is and how expensive it is in terms of investing what it means in leadership, toughness, and performance levels being at extremely high levels consistently, and defensive commitment if you want to get serious about winning a championship. You can ninth over a 30-day span defensively and then have these alternating five and four game win losing streaks and four no-show performances out of the all-star break and tell me that it was something extrinsic that kept you from reaching some of the goals that you had set out to reach this team was very talented that front office did a good job bolstering the talent and making it more versatile they have a coach that knows how to coach great things on offense and defense for that matter um, now it's about leadership and and those guys understanding that price and what it takes to be paid so get rid of the underdog mentality. Get rid of that right now. Because you know what? People do believe in you. You know, you were all-stars, you know, defense player of the year two times. You know, people understand and are, and are giving the Jazz the respect they deserve. Now they have to go out and earn more. But they can't just make it about somebody else. they got to make it about themselves now. It's time to stop trying to prove everybody else wrong and start trying to prove yourself right. And that's where that focus needs to go back for the Utah Jazz. And I think you saw what happened. They were up three games to one, and they blew that 15-point lead. And now all of a sudden they find themselves in a position they didn't think they were going to be in. They can't play the chip on the shoulder thing. You know, so they went from, you know, we can win this thing to we have to win this thing to we better not blow this thing. And you saw that team tighten up and have some poor uh, stretches of performance in that 3-1 series collapse. So that mindset shift has to, has to happen, and I think that the, the final three losses can show you some of why that needs to change. Uh, Tony Parks, I appreciate you reminding me. How can people find your great podcast, and uh, where can they find it? Oh, yeah, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, more. Uh, the Utah Podca- uh, Podcast Network, I actually do a gambling segment like this. There's a guy who uh, runs a sports book and uh, or a, uh, a sports website, I should say, gaming website. And in order for him to be on the show, he has to come on and he has to pick the games. But then he has to—he has like an imaginary bankroll, right? So <laughs> he can't just say, 
six, the Patriots, the Little Raiders win six. But then he has to say, okay, I'm going to put down 330 to win three, right? So 330 to win three. And then I don't just tell everybody what his record is. I tell everybody what his number is. So he was like plus 600 a couple weeks ago. And then this week, depending on what happens tonight, he'll either end up plus 150 or like minus 380 or something like that. So, yeah, he took the uh, Ravens minus three. So it's kind of fun because he has to put his money where his mouth is. And let me tell you, he, he was all about it, and he's been pretty good so far this year. He's, he's you know, very calculated on which games and kind of how much imaginary money he's putting on each one. So it's been cool. It's been really, really cool. And it's called the Tony Parks Podcast, correct? Easy to find, yeah. Easy oh. to find. Tony, you are one of the best, man. I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate you for joining us on the show. Enjoy and be safe. All right. Go Bears.